Good afternoon. I also extend greetings in the name of Christ. So we've gathered to refresh ourselves around who he is to each one of us. For other foundation can no man lay. I was contemplating the subject for a while now, and it's been a weighty subject for me to contemplate more than just literally. We all recognize needs about us in terms of life direction. Sometimes it's closer home than we realize. The, I'll just say the compromise that's happening is frightening and as I considered this subject I began to realize that I hadn't realized everything in the past. First of all here just contemplating it on an individual basis my individual choice to stand upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We all have decisions that we make regarding our lives and our life future. Where we go with our lives. One of those choices is to be part of a group, church. It's a choice we make. You know, we can do a lot of things with our lives. But the choice to be a part of the body of Christ Christ, places us at a point that will define our life. <clears throat> it's a choice. It, it, it is, a, is a choice I realize more and more as I, as I walk through life. As I was thinking about the subject, I wondered, what is God's perspective on this idea of foundations? Was it was an idea that came along with man? Where, where is God's perspective in that? I'd like to just consider here briefly three areas God has invested in us, or is investing, and how he went about the project. Go back to creation and day one and it says he spoke and it was. We have, is it, um, maybe I'll just turn there. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. We move through each day of the creation week, and God spoke something into existence. His word brought about the reality of creation. Building blocks or the actual creation. 
I believe in Scripture we find something like 26 times the phrase foundation of the world, like prior to, since the foundation of the world. Creation brought it into being, but what's the foundation? Where did God build on top of? He said to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Just as I thought about this, I, I offer this as a possibility. Could it be that the very word of God is the foundation for creation and the sustaining of our world as it is? That it's the word of God upon which we stand. I'm not sure, but I, I, I've wondered if that's not the foundation of the world. 2 Peter 3 and verses 5, 6, 7, and 13. Speaking about scoffers in the last days. And and Peter says here, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. like to include verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. All right, the second one being the foundation of the church, and that's the subject here we'd like to look at. So I'll, I'll just mention that one and move on to thirdly, the foundation we find under the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. Again, another creation of God. And it clearly, clearly gives us, I'll turn there as well. It clearly gives us a description of that foundation. Twelve foundations, actually, it says. Um, It mentions that they are precious stones. The foundations of the wall of the city, verse 19, were garnished with all manner of precious stones. It lists them. But the thing that is interesting here is that the foundation is visible. It's not something unseen. At least as it appears here. Why that is, again, I'm not sure. But God will remove faith in heaven. 
will enable us to see what he, what he wants us to see. The testimony of Abraham, it says, For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. <clears throat> well, other foundation can no man lay. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter, one, chapter 3. There's three simple things I would like to cover as we proceed. Very, very simple, I believe. That I'd like to offer as being principles that enable the centrality of Christ in our churches. And the first one is acceptance of the truth. Just simply acceptance of the truth. I believe that we must credit our faith to the power of the risen Lord. I believe that that's a truth upon upon which we must stand. Let's see. I think I'll read read a few verses here from Ephesians before I come back to 1 Corinthians 3. Just to include them, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom... All the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This idea of a structure that contains God himself. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. All right. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 17. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be, de- shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, 
and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the temple, sorry, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. I'd like to note a number of things here. First of all, the, the discussion was sparked by this debate over who I'm a follower of. Whether I'm a follower of Paul or Apollos or Peter or Christ, <clears throat> it sparked this, this discussion. And so Paul says that the workers are simply workers. We simply do what God has given us. And he had been given the privilege of being a wise master builder in this project, but he was simply a worker. I have planted Apollos watered. Really, it doesn't matter who planted or who watered, but what matters is that there was an increase. The increase is always of God. We must give God the credit for that. And I believe that this is an important point to maintain in our thoughts as we move among and serve people. If there's any help to be done, if there's any progress made, the increase is of God. I am but a mere worker, a mere servant. All right, also, he, he gives their ownership over to God. Ye are God's husbandry and building. Ye are God's husbandry. Husbandry being the, the, the grape arbor, the vineyard, being tended by the workers, where there is a harvest anticipated. In a vine scenario, when there's increase, when there's growth, it's from within. It's from the life within that produces the fruit. And so we have in this illustration, the idea of growth from within. One of our focuses must be growth within the body. Having an eye for, for needs that are maybe not so apparent to us, but investing our time for those around us who who need encouragement to grow may God enable us 
to have a focus here. Ye are God's building as well. And the building illustration would lead us to the idea that there's growth coming from the out, out from without. When a building is constructed, components come in to the site and they're assembled. Stage one stage at a time. Maybe we could liken this to our focus in our communities, in our country, in the world. Growth from without. May God enable us to have a focus on evangelism for bringing people to Christ. <clears throat> All right, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Number three, the tending workers carry responsibility. We are laborers together with God. And this poses a whole scenario that is difficult for me to understand. It seems to be saying that in the vineyard and the building process of God, I, as one of his servants, have a choice over what building components I use. And this makes it a grave, a grave instruction, particularly for us as leaders. Materials that endure are materials that will be definitely linked to Christ. Preaching that is exalting him and his words. Fidelity in the life. Accuracy in study of and, and sharing of the word. Again, we're thinking of building materials. Things that will withstand the test of fire and gold and silver only get purer when subjected to fire. Fire is used for purification. Keeping Christ central. I'd like to put up a picture here. It really doesn't matter what structure we use, but I've chosen to use a bridge for illustration 
purposes. And pretty self-explanatory. The structure needs to be able to support itself. <clears throat> needs to be able to not just support itself, but also support a load that will be placed upon it. And so, regardless of the structure, that's the consideration. And in this structure, there is the need to support itself, being permanent loading, and there's the need to support the active loading, which was, um, it is a, a fairly accurate representation of a structure. And in this case, the, the live loading was four lanes of traffic and two pedestrian sidewalks. And so we have, we have pressures bearing down on the structure, both of itself and from without. Somehow, it needs to be able to carry four lanes of traffic during rush hour with all the pedestrians from out here and transferring that down to the base. Somehow, it needs to do that. Probably, we all recognize something of that pressure. The feeling of being stretched. And stretched. And stretched. And wondering if God knows the capability of the pressure in our lives. <clears throat> I think we all can relate to that. In the bridge illustration, the purpose is to transfer that pressure to the base. There's a transfer of, str of strengths. One is the strength bearing on me that I must take to Christ and let him help me carry it. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And part of it is standing upon the promise of his word as being the basis for my life. Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. One of the things that impresses me about the idea of foundations is that in a structure that has to support weight, there's, there's tremendous there's tremendous pressure placed upon it. What I haven't put up there yet is that this represents what's down in the sand. 
And it is actually deeper than the structure is tall by quite a bit, by 25%. The foundation is designed to support everything that bridge was built to carry. <clears throat> foundation. In our verse, it says that other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The foundation was divinely laid. And I believe that one of the things our people should see is us taking the weight to Christ and returning with stability from Christ. I believe that that's something that, that Jesus would have us model to our people. I believe that that's one thing that will enable us to keep Christ central in our churches. And that really covers principle number two, which is practice the life. Practice the life. Jesus Christ is the life. Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I'd like for us to catch that word hid. That's where life is. It's, it takes our focus into the spiritual realm. All right, for the remainder of our time, I'll be, would invite you to go to, I will be spending it mostly in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. And this section I have entitled, number three, Walk the Way. Walk the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have accept the truth, practice the life, walk the way. Maybe there's some overlap in these. I'm sure there is. But under the idea of keeping Christ central, number one Maintaining the authority of the scripture. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 19. 
Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I, came, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, the authority of the scriptures is paramount to maintaining Christ as the foundation. Ephesians calls the word of God as the sword of the spirit. And Jesus left us this example. He said to Satan in the temptations, he said, it is written. He stood upon that. It is written. And another, another time, to another audience, he said, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The authority of the scriptures that determines direction in life. It is really the only basis for faith. And our children and our young people must see it modeled in us. They must hear that dad makes this decision because the scripture says this. Dad makes this practical application because the scripture says this. Secondly, from the words of Christ, is we must keep the prayer of faith a part of us for Christ to be central. Jesus gave us the example of the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. I don't think I'll read it, but we have these elements in the prayer. Fear of God and requests for daily bread, for forgiveness, and for deliverance. Components of the Lord's Prayer. He says, chapter 7 and verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I think I'll read verses 7 through 11. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? These verses begin and end with asking. The prayer of faith. Jesus prayed. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed the night before he began, well, The night before he chose disciples, I am not exactly sure now how that all 
came to be. But one of the days he chose disciples was the day after he had spent time in prayer. He pulled away for prayer during a a time of taxing service. He prayed at Lazarus' resurrection. He prayed specifically for Peter. He prayed for all his followers. And finally, he prayed from the cross. He prayed the prayer of forgiveness. Someone has given these, a list of of things that the prayer of faith must include. It must be in faith. It must be in Jesus' name. It must be in his will. It must be from a cleansed heart. It must be from a heart that's expressing forgiveness. And a heart that's experiencing harmony in relationships. And the prayer of faith must come through persistence. Another item for keeping Christ central. Forgiveness must be a way of life for us. Back to Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I think that this brings us somewhat back to the idea of the transfer of strength. Forgiveness is one of those virtues that is divine. I, humanly speaking, it's, I think it's impossible to forgive. But when we do it, it's a taking the load and bringing it to Christ. And it's returning with his strength to show love in the face of hurt. Christ said, and again, this is from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It conditions our hearts. All right, one more, non-resistance. I believe that non-resistance is a way to maintain Christ's centrality in our churches. Matthew 5, verse 38, 38 to 42. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, Go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. There appears to be a progression, or maybe it's a regression, actually, in these verses. Because verse 38, no, I'm sorry, verse 39 says, 
um, resist not the one that smites. Verse 40 says, allow the suing. Verse 41 says, agree to the compelling. And verse 42 has giving to the asker. Maybe it's from worst to best scenario there, whichever is the case. <clears throat> you know, there's probably no one thing that, well, maybe I should, should rephrase that. Non-resistance to our communities is one of the biggest, power, most powerful testimonies that Christ is Lord of our lives. That's out there. I believe that it is also a virtue that when practiced in here is a compelling power to maintain Christ's centrality among us. The example that Christ left, when smitten, he responded respectfully. Being agreeable, being flexible. Well, in closing, There's much more from the Sermon on the Mount we could look at. There's much more from anywhere in the New Testament we could look at for the basis of Christ being central among us. These are a few things that I've picked out. And whether it's accepting the truth or practicing the life, or walking the way, his intention for us is to be little Christ. I would like to read Luke's account of the wise and foolish man. If you care to, you can follow along. It's in Luke's, Luke chapter 6. Verses 47 to 49. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. And may I say, vehemently upon that church, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great.
May God bless us as churches to maintain a Christ-centered focus as we face the future with what it has. God bless you.